This is Omo. 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 Is this Yoko Omo? This is Omo. This is Omo. This episode of Omo is sponsored in part by House of Note Violin Shop in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. House of Note is a full-service violin shop serving the string community since 1959 with something for everyone. From fine rental instruments to restoration services and a fine selection of American-made violins in their showroom, this luthier-owned shop is here to service all levels of musicians. House of Note wishes everyone out there in the orchestra community the very best this year. Those of you who survived this year, may you thrive in the year to come. Visit houseofnote.com for more information or email info at houseofnote.com. Hello, Homo sapiens. Hello. <laughs> How you doing, Rosie? I'm very good. I'm very happy about the interview we've got coming up. Uh, who do we have? We've got this woman. Her name is Anna Hoffman. I think I've heard of her. Yeah, I think you've worked with her a ton. And she's the manager of the summer programs for Oberlin College. And so we're going to learn a little bit more about what goes on behind the scenes that we bench monkeys don't know about for those of us who have gone. Uh, but let me just ask you, Jerry, what do you think of when you hear the word Oberlin? It's going to sound really weird. Okay. But I think of family. Yeah. How about you? Well, when I'm when I'm thinking about the city, it's an impossible to travel to place where the luthier nerds play hard. And it's it's a city that's got good food and granola folk and Victorian houses with no air conditioning and humidity that clings to you whether you're inside or outside. Uh, but it's it's full of energy. And there's a warehouse full of people in love with violins, and they're all scraping away at their projects. It's summer camp for violin nerds. Yeah, yeah. They're all staying up late, having wine, arguing about soundpost placement. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's where, for me, it's where you meet all the people you've heard about in this field or the people you should have heard about. Uh, so on this pre-Thanksgiving family-centered episode of Omo. We're going to talk about our family, Oberlin. Join us after the break as we talk to Anna Hoffman. This episode of Omo is brought to you in part by Encore Orchestral Strings, the violin shop within Pages Music in Indianapolis, Indiana. Pages Music is celebrating its sesquicentennial 150th anniversary this year, which has been Indiana-owned and operated since 1871. John Riani, the manager of Encore, has been a lifelong admirer of and advocate for new making. He's a fine cellist, and he provides a trustworthy place to send one's instruments, and he gives the best hugs west of the Allegheny. Aw, and while he's hugging you, this is what he says. I want to encourage you that the work that you do, instrument makers, bow makers, restorers, shop owners, it is deeply important and appreciated. The world desperately needs great art, and you are creating it, preserving it, and facilitating it. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. 
This episode of OMO is sponsored by Dr. J.G. McIntosh Rossinate Oil Varnishes. Developed by our colleague, Jackson Maberry, J.G. McIntosh Varnish delivers maximum color intensity and complete transparency. Through the science of alchemy, Dr. J.G. McIntosh is able to provide the most potent fiddle sauces on the market and unparalleled flexibility with regards to application, hue, and style. Yum! But before you even think of color, Dr. J.G. McIntosh's Tinctura Veneziana Primer and Oleo Resinous Ground can help you prepare your fiddle surfaces, heightening contrast and imbuing a complex and permanent color directly in the wood. Next time you're ready to varnish an instrument, turn to the good doctor. He's got the right prescription. JG Macintosh products are available from Wood Finishing Enterprises at www.woodfinishingenterprises.com. Homo sapiens, I'd like to welcome you all. Today we've got with us Anna Hoffman, who is the manager of summer programs at the Oberlin Conservatory, or is it Oberlin College? Well, it's, you can say the whole thing, Oberlin Conservatory of Music, Oberlin College. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I've also got Jerry Lynn here. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Rosie. Hi, Anna. <laughs> Hi, Jerry. It's great to have you here, Anna. Oh, it's great to it's great to talk to you. Yeah, I miss you guys. We likewise, we miss you too. Yeah. Yes, I miss being up there. Uh, so when Jerry was telling me a little bit about you, Anna, he specifically said she's the person who everyone knows. And what I mean by that is uh, all of all of us on this end. The, say she knows everybody. That's more an important way of oh, saying it. You know what? That's yeah. Okay. She knows where all the all the the metaphorical bodies are buried. All the yes. <laughs> where everybody's coming from. Yeah, yeah. So when when we luthiers are um, uh, talking about lore from our end, the uh, the people throughout history that we. Uh, know about, but maybe haven't interacted with. Well, they've just all passed through uh, in the Oberlin programs for the most part, but so many of those people. And you've just been working on these programs, um, uh, rubbing shoulders with lots of people that we we wish we could rub shoulders with. It's it's so much fun. I mean, um, it, and and it's I have it easy because I I often don't know who people are, and so I treat everybody the same. And, um, uh, that's the way I like to do things, you know, and I, and I appreciate it. I, uh, everybody is, I consider them my friends when they're here and, uh, it's just a joy absolutely to come into the workshops and I, if I could, well, okay, I'll admit it. And I love to plan <laughs> on having coffee, whether it's in, um, the residence or it's at the workshops. Uh, you guys make great coffee and in the summer, especially I need it. I need a yeah. year or two, but I, <laughs> I love coming and visiting and, and maybe having a little pastry and, and just hanging with you guys in the background. I, I consider it a privilege and um, a really an honor and, and, and fun and fun. So I do appreciate, I just so appreciate having you all here. I have to admit, I crammed just real quick, real quick before we started today. And I thought, wait a minute, when did we start? When did Nigo, Vaka Nigo Gosian make his speech when he decided to retire and hand, hand things over to the younger generation. Yes. And I see that it was in 1986 that Oberlin and the BSA came together with the Good Kind Collection housed here in our library. 
uh, and with the restoration program that, that NIGO, Vakan Nigogosian, started, a longer, smaller program. Um, in 1996, he, he made his retirement speech, and he mentions about um, a thanks to me, so sweet, a thanks <laughs> to me, uh, a, a special thanks to Anna, dealing with uh, temperamental artists, I'm quoting here, and cantankerous <laughs> instructors. Let me tell you, these are my favorite people. I like cantankerous people. I like temperamental artists. Uh, um, and no problems are too big. So, you know, it's so sweet of him to, to mention me in his speech. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite pictures, and, and you know, we don't take tons of pictures at home, but uh, is of my uh, oldest son who was, oh my gosh, 27 in another few weeks, 27 years old. He was a baby sitting in the front yard of Keep Cottage when Nigo would have his picnics. And I just love that picture because there's my baby, Sean. And, um, you know, we go way back. We go way, way back. And um, so excited that I've been part of this program that started as one smaller program from this dear, dear man who wanted to share his knowledge and encourage the shared knowledge of people. Um, the generosity of makers rather than the um, secrecy of it. Yeah. The hoarding of it. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that he wanted to give back, you know, in his later years from the difficult years that he had diving into this field and during his times as a young man, it's just so lovely to be part of this yeah. program that has blossomed into now five different programs uh, and brought, brought so many people in. Yeah. Do you recall how that got started? Did he approach you or was this a program that Oberlin wanted to start? Oberlin wanted to start. And again, I, I am looking at his speech to verify because it started before yeah. my time in the programs, um, just a couple of years before my time. Um, that's, well, no, not a couple of years. I started with the programs with Nico in 94. And the programs, the Good Kind Collection, the relationship between VSA with Hans Tausick our president at the time, Frederick Starr, and our dean, David Bowe, came together um, to discuss this relationship with the Good Kind Collection that we house here at the conservatory. Now, for people who don't know, what exactly is the Good Kind Collection? I've not looked at it carefully myself, but I have seen copies of drawings of studies by makers, particularly for restoration. It's quite extensive, and many of our makers who come here make an appointment with our archivist here at the conservatory library, and they take out materials that they've actually made a lot of copies of so they can really, you know, mess up those pages and and work (laughs) with that history. Now, I'm showing my outsider colors. You you mentioned the fellow's name, Nico. Is that correct? Yes. Well, that's his short name. His name was Vakan Nikogosian. Vakan Nikogosian. And you mentioned that he struggled in his younger days um, and wanted to create a community where knowledge was more accessible. Right, right. Um, I find that so inspiring because that legacy still continues to this day of making. And I love it. I love it because he's Mm -hmm. such an important and dear person. I tell you, every time he came into town, I, I it's funny, I felt like home. My father came from Austria and moved to, because of the war, moved to New Zealand. So I came, I, I was brought up with the European um, flavor in our household and uh, just the, the dearness of this man and um, generosity was so, uh, like I said, I mean, I, 
it's certainly an honor and, and I love carrying on his legacy. I love it. I'd love to hear any first impressions with people that maybe maybe you got off to a weird start with and later became dear friends with. I'd love to know anything about those stories. About weirdness. I suppose I'm very comfortable with weirdness. So Yeah. Well, you, li- you live in Oberlin. <laughs> I so. live in Oberlin. I grew up in Oberlin. Yeah, I know. I know. And I also had the opportunity and the privilege of traveling when I was younger, you know, so exposed to a lot of different people and places. Um, no, weirdness is right at home with me. And, and honestly, Honestly, when I think about the programs as a whole, I think of generous, kind uh, people. Mm -hmm. And um, it's fun. It's just so much fun. And so many people have so many different talents. I mean, we've got professional chefs in the bunch. and um, Absolutely. It's, you know, of course, me, I'm I'm centered on food, too. And they're always so (laughs) nice to let me just walk into the kitchen. One of my favorite things to do, Uh, not just coffee, but, you know, while they're cooking. I love it. Yeah, I know the weirdness. Like the bow makers and the violin makers would have this challenge toward the end of the week on who can... Who can have the most fun? Who can who can create the most fun games um, that I would then get dragged into? And although oh. I, don't, I don't appear to be a shy person, <laughs> I, I think I am. Uh, although I love being around people, but yeah, and then I have to be in the games, of course, and jump over things. Or gosh, what did we have to do? Oh, so like obstacle courses? Yes, obstacle courses. Okay, well, we, don't, we don't do any of that at Restoration. We're just like <laughs> hyper focused and. <laughs> oh, you have a lot of fun. Well, I mean, the restoration program is just a week, too. It's different when you're here for two weeks. It, it is. It is. Yeah. And, and a lot of that is because uh, when, you're an in, when you're a maker, when you're predominantly making instruments, a lot of those people are self-employed. Yes. And when you are working in, in restoration or, or being a, a general bench monkey, uh, you work for somebody else. And so the amount of time that you can you can take off is is generally pretty limited. Yeah, right, right. And so, uh, yeah, when it's when we're there, we're, we're pretty laser focused. And I hear all these stories like, wow, how do they have time to do that? But- <laughs> do they make time and they don't sleep. You know, they just, oh. they, as, and, and I remember Nico saying, you know, don't sleep, eat, work, work, work. I mean, that also, that legacy of working into the late yeah. many hours that I, of course, get questions from security about, really, do they really have to stay till four? Yeah, that's yeah. their program. Really, it has to be. Please <laughs> leave that. Yeah, let, just I'll just let you know that they're there for two, almost 24 hours a day. And although everybody knows that now here at Oval, and even though security staff may change, that gets, that gets, um, repeated you know people know about again the legacy of these programs and and they know they know what to expect and they look forward to it it's like oh thank goodness the violin makers the the bow makers you know are are back yeah it's the life that y'all bring in to town not only on the college campus but being very small campus right in the middle of this wonderful small town Mm -hmm. you know the business that you give our our folks here in town, the businesses here, the life that you inject is, is phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. Thank you. Well, speaking of, uh, you know, letting the security guards know that this is a little bit different operation, uh, the, the violin making community and restoration and bow making community, we're kind of the outliers for what normally goes on during a summer. 
Um, right. You're right. usually you getting a, a younger age group and, <laughs> and yeah. organizing different kind of camps. Why don't you tell us a little bit about those programs that you do? Well, over the years, we've had so many different programs, including a program in uh, Italy. We no longer have an opera program. There is some word that we may uh, we may have an opera program here at Oberlin for college age and graduate students. So that's that's exciting. We'll see the the announcement of our programs should hit the website should be public probably in another couple of weeks, two three weeks. Um, we have an incredible organ collection here on campus. That's right. You have organ academy. Yes. So yes. what what is that? High schoolers who are organ enthusiasts just to, to come to this camp? Right. So many of our programs have recruitment in mind, and the Organ yes. Academy is focused on these incredible students, sometimes younger than high school, usually living with parents if it's a residential program, um, but mostly high school students who come and just absolutely enjoy, uh, of course, our faculty and our organs, our collection here. Um, they go to Cedar Point together in the middle of the week. You know, it's it's it's, mm-hmm. it's a camp, so it's hard work. Uh, it's late hours. Uh, it's it's dormitory living. They get a taste of that with our wonderful students who who live with them uh, and supervise. And um, I seem to also recall a Baroque program as well. Oh, absolutely! Baroque Performance Institute uh, celebrating its fiftieth year. Of course, we actually hit fifty during COVID, so we've oh. been doing oh. these virtual programs. But I'm really excited about this summer, a theme to be announced soon. Um, so this is huge milestone. Um, I expect a big program this year with a lot of uh, faculty, guest performers, um, participants. Yeah, Baroque Performance Institute that was founded by folks who've been here um, that long and um, are known throughout the world. So that is during the island making programs, and we always invite yeah. you all to our events. It's always fun to run into those people. Yes, yes. So that's fun too. So that's that's predominantly an adult program, but other than um, and with some high schoolers, um, we have a trumpet program, mostly high school. We often have a couple college students uh, with us. Uh, flute intensive for high school students, a small intense group. Uh, we're hoping to have a viola program this summer. Oh, Wait, a lovely. Vi- a viola program? Yeah, a viola program, meaning Peter Peter Slowick is uh, going to lead um, a technique program for viola, violists. Wow, my mind uh, is running with jokes right now. Like, Oh, crazy. very good. Very good. That's okay. We, we can handle jokes. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's going to happen also uh, toward the end of the month and the beginning of July. Uh, also here kind of overlapping some of the uh, VSA programs. Mm. Uh, and then we're going to come back with our piano program at the end of July. Um, and that's, that's all for now. We've started over the, over COVID times, we started this conservatory global program, uh, which is virtual classes online, not credit bearing yet, but I'm excited uh, that, that this past summer, our, our launch that was barely advertised was very successful. And we're hoping to offer other conservatory global courses uh, in the spring and in this summer. So everybody should keep their eye out if they're interested at all, you know, yeah. in, in learning from our faculty, um, some wonderful evening lectures and um, programs. So that'll be fun. So a lot of the people who listen to our podcast here interact with varying degrees of, of, of high school kids, college kids, 
and and professional players alike. Where should we send these people if they want to find out a little bit more about the other programs that Oberlin offers just besides the stuff that us kooky luthiers go to? Well, absolutely. Uh, conservatory, you know, oberlin.edu and go to uh, the conservatory page if you're looking specifically for conservatory information. Now, did I also see there's a electronic music You did, and I did notice, because we had spoken about that early, and I noticed yeah. I skipped it. Yes, it's called yeah. Sonic Arts Workshop, okay. uh, and that is in our Tamara department, Technology in Music and Related Arts, and Peter and Tom just run this phenomenal program with their assistants and guests, uh, with um, young students who are composing and wanting to also work with technology to mm. um, and other media to present concerts. So it's a cool program. My goodness. We have a wonderful lab down in the basement. Luthiers out there who are here for the summer, please feel free to ask me if anybody's interested in, in taking a tour. I'll, I'll grab somebody to show you around. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, for me, I'm very excited to hear that the energy that Oberlin provides that I, that I have received, that it is open to so many more avenues than I knew about and uh, accessible to high school kids. That enthusiasm, that fire for music and the arts. I'm glad you do what you do, Anna. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, uh, I'm glad I do what I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad I get to be around all these great people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that um, we will be able to cross paths this next summer. Wonderful. And thank you for agreeing to be on the show, Anna. Absolutely. Thank you so much for asking. Thank you so much. Jerry, she's delightful. She's great. Yeah. Uh, but I want to hear more from you, even though I know that you are almost always exclusively involved with the restoration week that we do there. I know you <laughs> are very aware of all the other stuff that happens throughout the summer. Ah, uh, well, yeah. Um, so aside from the the making workshops, there's also acoustics and there's the bass workshop and there's violin and bow restoration, which is what I'm, of course, most, most familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of really good stuff happens throughout all those workshops that doesn't necessarily, I want to say get the press, but not a lot of people are aware of, of, of that sort of stuff that happens at acoustics or the base workshop the base workshop occasionally happens during uh during the, the restoration week and to walk in that workshop and see some of the stuff that they're doing and you know it's pretty tough to to be you know snooty and say oh these big instruments i don't want to have anything to do with that and i look at the work those guys are doing and i'm like wow this is cool i'm gonna steal all this stuff <laughs> so Okay, so you walk in and you are learning some tips. Tell me, tell me more about this. Well, just well, I don't get a lot of chance to walk in there because obviously through the restoration program, I should probably back up and say that what I do for restoration, uh, my official title is I am. Oh, gosh, what is my favorite? <laughs> so we'll start with uh, Bench Monkey. Bench Monkey, yeah, uh -huh. uh, a lead yeah. Bench Monkey. No, I'm 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 the co-administrator. It's a uh, title I share with Claire Curtis. Okay. 
And uh, I kind of blur the lines between managing personnel, uh, instruction, psychology, psychologist, uh, getting coffee. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, And uh, I've taken people to the hospital. I've done all kinds of crazy things. You did do that. Yeah. You you do a lot of uh, tying up the loose ends. I do. I do. Uh, I think my unofficial title that was given to me by, gosh, who, who gave me that? Was it? Tim Johnson called me the the scout leader or something like that. So Okay. But anyway, if you get a chance to to walk into the bass workshop, it was just this playground for the mind because a lot of times with with smaller instruments we're very bound, I won't say by tradition because in restoration the field of restoration actually isn't all that old if you look at the grand scheme of 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 instrument work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not nearly all that old, but when you go and you look at basses um, you know, they've really taken the, the playbook and just kind of torn it up and doing what they need to do to, to, to deal with the size and scope of these instruments. Yeah. Okay. So what's the craziest thing you've ever seen these bass people up to? Uh, again, I, I don't get a lot of chance to spend time in there. <laughs> okay. So, okay. uh, you know, I just poke my head in and walk around. I was like, wow, this is cool. And then kind of go back to, you know, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So I, I hope knock on wood that the programs are happening again this summer and I get to walk in and and snoop around some more. I'll steal some more stuff. It's like stealing stuff from guitar people, you know? Yeah. If you want to learn a lot of interesting tips about uh, violin restoration work, you go to Frank Ford's website and just start scrolling through. You'll find all kinds of great things to steal. Okay. (laughs) And now let's back up. You mentioned acoustics. Mm. Uh, I have seen, uh, photos of what goes on in the acoustics workshop without really having any insider knowledge. And I see a, I see computers. I see like parts of violins being strung up and clamped in certain ways. And then they're reading graphs. It's black magic. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) I, I can't even begin to understand what information they're gleaning but it looks very fancy me neither me me neither neither (laughs) me neither me neither (laughs) uh but i'm glad that they're doing it because when i need like a really simple kindergartner's explanation of of what's happening there's a few people that i call again tim johnson i'll be like tim what does this mean and you know he speaks to me like i'm a small child and (laughs) (laughs) pats me on the head and gives me a cookie Okay. (laughs) Well, um, you have shared with me some of your early days in this field, basically working at a violin shop for a long time, but not receiving the more formal school training that I have craved. I wouldn't say that. I mean, I've worked, I've always worked with really smart people that. Sure. Some which came out of the, the Menning traditions, some that came out of Salco's. I worked with one guy that came out of of triangle strings. Um, and I work with guys who are really, really smart problem solvers, but kind of at the beginning of that, um, I also really wanted to expand my, my mind and just see, see more perspectives than that, which I had been currently offered. Yeah. Yeah. So along that path, you were introduced to Jeff Holmes. I was through a, it's a really small world. So uh-huh. I went to college with a really great violinist by the name of Ken Cox, who is now 
a uh, sales consultant for Ernie and Sons. Ken, knowing that I wanted to expand my horizons, arranged for me to be able to ask this random guy who I, I didn't know named Jeff Holmes, like if I got stuck on a problem that I couldn't find any solution, I could write Jeff an email and Jeff would, would answer me. And lo and behold, he did. And mm. uh, I started emailing with Jeff and before long word got out that the the restoration program was going to be rebooted. About what year was this? It was 2010. Okay. Uh, prior to that, uh, aside from the making workshops, there were things like uh, advanced topics. Uh, there was a setup workshop. There was a couple different things, but nothing really designed to introduce people and provide a a sounding board for more advanced people in the field to get together to talk about topics that were central to conserving and restoring instruments. Mm -hmm. So it got restarted and Jeff was, and still is the director. Uh, I wrote him an email and I said, I, I really want to go. And he said, I hope you were going to. And, mm -hmm. and the rest was kind of uh, history. Uh, people, mm -hmm. people came from all over and they still do. We have, People that range in ability from folks who are, are just barely got their feet wet working professionally to people who are extremely seasoned at what they do. And a lot of that is done on purpose because if you have people whom everybody's great, nothing gets rehashed. No, mm. no. It's easy to be complacent or not question things when you know a lot of stuff. So you need someone like me to say, wait, 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 <laughs> I don't understand. Can you please back up? Yeah. And I, it's, <laughs> I don't, obviously I can't speak for the other programs, but that's, that's how we've tried to do it. Mm -hmm. Also, one of the, the huge criticisms we, that's come of, of the restoration workshop is people say, mm -hmm. well, it's only a week. And you know, you can change your, you can have your life changed in 30 seconds. It's not about time. It's about content and meeting people and critical thinking more than it is anything else. Yeah. I'm absolutely on board with that for <clears throat> the first week that I went. Of course, there's an upper limit to how much you can absorb within that week. Yeah. Uh, but going home and being able to ruminate over it, being able to practice some of the things mm -hmm. that I got a little taste of having access to people that I can ask follow-up questions to. That was the transformation. Yeah. Um, which is which is why I don't make any more workbench mistakes anymore. <laughs> me so, too. Me too. <laughs> so take take me back to that first year. Do you remember what was on your workbench? Crap, that was way too involved. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go on. Um well, so uh, again, there's only so much you can process or do, even if it wouldn't matter if it would be a month, there's so much going on that what was in front of me wasn't necessarily a project that I, I, I had a hope or a prayer of getting done, but it was, it was a good starting off point for saying, Hey, what would you do with this? Okay. A good start for critical critical thinking. Critical thinking, critical yeah. thinking. That's what it all comes down to is um, is becoming a good problem solver. Mm -hmm. And that I, I'd say that that's not unique to Oberlin. I, like I don't want this to be a 
a mammoth advertisement for, for, for the Oberlin programs. A lot of that can come by just getting out and meeting people, go to conventions, go to whatever workshops your organization puts on. I know the BVMA does a whole lot of great stuff. Yeah. Um, places in France do a whole lot of great stuff. Show up, meet people, ask questions. You know what? That's reminding me of the base bar that I was working on my first week. And the top that I brought was nothing special. Mm -hmm. And the way that it was designed, if you put a base bar exactly where it should be mm -hmm. for optimal sound, um, it would actually run to the path of one of the eyes. Oh, or one of, I'm sorry, one of the F holes. Yeah, um, just, yeah. just a little bit. And I remember uh, Jeff Holmes coming by and offering some thoughts about what to do about that. Mm -hmm. And then, um, oh, I'm blanking out on his name. The guy we're, we're always trying to think, how can we get him on Omo? Dave Burgess. Yeah. Uh, so I remember him coming along and he would have some thoughts that were not completely against Jeff's, uh -huh. but you know, mm -hmm. it, everyone is just ruminating on what's a way to solve this problem. And I would get exposed to that kind of thinking again and again and again. And nobody is trying to tell you there's one way. So, you know, the, the joke, if you want four different opinions on, on uh -huh. bass bars, you ask two different violin makers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so uh, over the years, mm -hmm. you've you have ended up being right square in the middle of all of this. Uh, and, and you know what, I would say you're one of the people who you'll ruminate on a way to solve a problem. People will come to you for these same things. And, and you, <laughs> and you, I see you spreading yourself throughout the whole workshop, uh -huh. uh, trying to contribute in this way or that way, whether it is in advice or technique or even sometimes your tools expressly by consent <laughs> uh, and uh, so i i want to know a little bit more about some of the people you've interacted with throughout the years well a lot of these people um i should say that i'm, I'm not naturally outgoing aside from what it may seem like on this show or if you meet me at a convention um i'm not really I'm not really comfortable in most social interactions, except yeah, <laughs> except at Oberlin and except at VSA conventions, because for whatever reason, like these are my people. This is my tribe. Yeah. So people whom I've met, um, a lot of them have gone from from being random people who have who have sent an email or an application into the program that I've I've looked over and I thought, well, this person would be a good fit. And they've they've gone from being a random random thing from the internet to being family, mm -hmm. uh, you, you included. And, and, yeah. and dare I say it, Christopher? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, I haven't had a chance to throw him under the bus this, this, this episode. And yeah. So what can we do? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. He's, he's now nah, we won't throw him under the bus. Okay. But he's, he's been behaving on the internet lately. Yeah. 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 He has been, which is strange. <laughs> I wonder if something's wrong. Yeah. Although I do, uh, I'm hoping the next episode we'll get to talk about his most recent injury and talk about how we can um, advocate for ourselves when we do have an injury. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I've met people from Australia, of course, Europe. We've had people come from uh, various countries in Asia, all across the U.S., Canada, 
uh, and they, they've all come to be part of something that's, that's more than what they know. I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for. This is weird. I'm not the, I'm not supposed to be the interviewee. I'm supposed to be the interviewer. I know, but, but I like to hear you talk. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay. So anything else that I've forgotten to ask you about that you want to share? Go out and make mistakes. Yeah. You know, uh, God, that sounds weird coming from somebody who's, who I hope I have a reputation for being careful, but one of the big things that I've, gotten out of all the top flight talent that we've had come, whether they're participants or, or guest instructors is nothing happens because you automatically know how to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, set up analogs that you can safely fail in. So if you're, if you really want to know how to do a certain type of, of retouch job, if you really want to know how to fit a certain type of patch, if you really want to know how, a certain chemical stain is going to affect something set up a, a process which you can safely fail and you can make mistakes. You told me that some of the best restoration people, you know, are the best experimenters. Oh, absolutely. I, I feel like a slob compared to some of my, my, my good <laughs> friends and colleagues who keep, extensive notes and they keep samples organized, you know, I'll run an experiment and you'll be a couple scraps of wood and a few scribble bits of notes and then I'm good, but I've got friends that can go back 10 years and pull out whatever notes they need or whatever process in order to rebuild that experiment in order to pull off a job to a high standard. Mm -hmm. Well, guys out there, uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of Omo. And uh, we're going to be coming at you a little bit before Thanksgiving <clears throat> for you American listeners. So I hope you had a little bit of a family experience listening here to uh, to us reminisce our Uberland days and uh, wish you the best next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Omo is an all Luthier podcast produced by Rosie Deloach, Chris Jacoby, and Jerry Lynn. The show is edited by Jason Peoples, music by Invoke Sound. If you enjoy our show, you can help us out by leaving an iTunes review or becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash omopod, where you can get your very own Omo swag. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out to us at mail at omopod.com or call the Omo phone at 240-686-5345. Thanks for listening.